This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I'm thrilled to have Jared and Vicky with us today. Guys, it's so good to have you both here. That's really cool. Uh, they're becoming good friends of ours. Uh, Jared spoke at our leadership weekend, was it last year? Last year, wasn't it? Early last year. And uh, obviously doing today for us. And uh, is also active voted this summer, which is our uh, summer camping weekend, August bank holiday weekend. So if you're not doing anything that weekend, then a little plug in for devoted there as well. Uh, Jared might be known to, to many of you. He and Vicky lead the team at Revived Church in Hull. And uh, he's a songwriter, author, podcaster. Yeah, podcaster, broadcaster, definitely. And uh, just a, a guy who's got a real hunger for God. And uh, as I've got to know uh, them recently, uh, over the last few years, really is the sense that God is doing something in them that he's doing in us. And they're a bit further down the journey, and it's great to see what, what God is doing. Um, but we thought, actually, he would be somebody that we would love to hear from and felt could stir our hearts and help us to encounter more of the Lord. So I'm thrilled that you're both with us today. Looking forward to all that you're going to bring. So let's, ja let's welcome Jared as he comes now. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How you doing? Well, you won't really know who I am, but... Do you know the song, in royal robes, I don't deserve king. I wrote that. That's the only reason you might know me. Some of you might know that song. Still gets the odd airing on songs of praise. Wow. It's great to be with you. My wife's just having second breakfast on the front row there. We're hobbits, you see. I don't know about you. These days, I get to about 11 o'clock and it's time for second breakfast. Anybody like me? Should we just pause for a minute and eat something? Should we? Why don't we do that? I don't know. Is it my age? I'm not sure. Um, so, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm 50 in a year. I know, I don't look it, do I? Work with, en encourage. You're going to have a better day if I'm encouraged, all right? So, just work, work with me. I've been going to church since I was 10 days old. I have been to, we used to go to five services on a Sunday. I have been to thousands of services. Some of you look like you've been to... <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I don't know about you, I can't remember a lot of the services I've been to. Anybody in, with me? They just all roll into one until God turns up. There's a message in that, but anyway, let's, let, let's keep going. But I do remember this one. I was brought up in a large Assemblies of God Pentecostal church, and there's about 600 people there. And how do you guys take communion? Do you use the little Russian shot glasses? Is that what? It's like a thimble, do you know what I mean? And it's very generous, don't you think? My cup overfloweth. No wonder it overflows. If you spat in it, your cup would overflow. It's one of them. Do you use those? Right, so we used to use these, and there'd be like, you know, 600 of these thimbles out. I was too young to take communion. I was about six when this story happened. And uh, usually everybody would get to a certain point in the meeting, and then the pastor would read the same scripture, say the same words, and then uh, 600 Pentecostals would lift up 600 little Russian shot glasses with Ribena in. Um, to 600 tongue-talking lips. And so 
we got to that point in the service and, and, and up it came and everybody drank except for me. I was just watching the adults do their thing. And it started with my mum. Now, we were that family that sits at the front. Do you know what I mean? We're that family. And so we, were, we sat over here and my mum screamed. Now, it's quite traditional Pentecostal church. Do you know what I mean? Pentecostal with a kind of brethren overhang. Do you know what I mean? So... And so my mum screamed and the toilets were out the front and downstairs. So she just had to run for the toilets and she's running down the stairs thinking, pastor is going to kill me. And as she's halfway down the stairs, she realizes that 600 Pentecostals are running after her, screaming as well, all being sick as they ran. There were piles of false teeth in the sink as Pentecostals gathered around each sink. Five Pentecostals around each toilet cubicle puking up. The guest speaker was laying on the platform, bubbles coming from his mouth. Somebody had put bleach in the communion wine. I think it's awesome. The front page of the paper the next day read, Church believes in inner cleansing. But it's one of the few meetings I can remember. I've been to, how many can you actually remember? I either remember when it all goes wrong or when God turns up. Is anybody on my planet? And so my life's cry is, God, turn up. Don't let us have another boring one. Do you know what I mean? Three fast songs, three slow songs and a word. As if the imagination of God who designed the elephant and the flea, the buttercup and the oak can only think all around the world every Sunday. Three fast songs, three slow songs, then the word, then a really happy song because we're going home to watch the Grand Prix. (laughs) I don't know about you, when I read the book of Acts, it's meant to be so much more than that. Come on, can you growl? You'll get used to this. I don't want you to say amen. I want you to growl when I preach. Is that all right? Now, now I didn't realize, I know we're all in in our denominational stream, so we're all not used to each other. But me and my friends, we're more likely to say yabba dabba do or if we preach. Can you work with me? Give me a growl. Come on. Come on. Tell the person next to you it's going to be good. And then growl at them. I hope today's different. Let it not be boring, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I know, let's be real about life. We have to go through boring seasons. They grow us up. But I actually believe we're in one of the most exciting seasons in the history of mankind. A couple of years ago, this is going to be a brief. I hate it when preachers get up and do 10 minutes of book plugs. So I'm only going to do 15, all right? No, no. I'm going to do kind of introduction stroke. It is a book plug because if you want to go further into this theme that I'll give you five minutes on, there's a, a book at the back. A couple of years ago, Um, 2017, we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, remember? And during that time, I took a couple of months out to seek God and just, I knew I needed to go through a little bit of a realigning stage in my own life. So I took a sabbatical and I was praying and and the directors of our church said, great, but don't use the six weeks or it was uh, two months, don't use the two months to write a book. But the thing is, I know what they meant. They meant don't take six weeks of the two months and sit there writing. We want you to go, explore, pray, think, and all that. So I I was doing that, and then this book came to me. 27,000 words of prophecy came in two days. 
two eight-hour days, not 16-hour days. I then spent the next morning of the third day just reading through it. I thought, well, it looks all right. I'll send it to my publisher. He read it. A day later, sends back a reply. Well, it's better written than your other books. And, uh, and had it published within three weeks. It's a prophetic book, and it's called 500. And it's because what was coming to me was this sense. If you chart through history, you will find that every 500 years, it's as though God begins an adjustment on the earth. I tracked as far back as Abraham in the book. You could go back to Adam. You could go back to Noah. But I started Abraham. And Abraham, you have this remarkable figure who encountered God. And he was the first one, Galatians tells us, to have the gospel preached to him because he was the one that understood salvation by faith. And so Abraham was one of our major figures, but track 500 years later, just work with me as I do this quickly. Next major figure, 500 years later, it's, it's very ish, okay, not on the minute, but you'll see the battleship of God's purposes changing. You find Moses. 500 years later, you're going to find David. 500 years later, you're going to find, um, uh, I'm missing a couple out here. I'll have to get the book open. Let's do it. I didn't mean to do this bit, but I'm stood here and I'm here we go. Yeah, Moses, David, then you get the exile and turmoil, that's right. And, uh, and then, of course, 500 years later, you get Jesus, the pivotal point of all humanity. Jesus comes on the scene. 500 years later is the beginning of the Dark Ages. 500 years after that is the Great Schism, a massive political shift in the church. But then 500 years ago, everybody say 500 years ago. 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to that castle church door. And uh, without the aid of the internet, a ripple went around the world, did it not? That began to reform, to restore what the church should be. I don't know about you, I'm so glad I wasn't born 700 years ago when it would have been a, a, a historical, remarkable thing for us to have sung in the Spirit for 20 minutes together today. They would have had to mark it in history as remarkable. I want you to understand your place in history. I know we're busy doing the school run, changing nappies and paying for mortgages, but come with me up onto the balcony of heaven for a moment and look at the world right now. Do you realize that 500 years of reformation has led to right now a remarkable point in history where more people are being raised from the dead than ever in history right now around the planet? I have a friend, his church have a raising the dead team. They've seen nine people raised from the dead. They're helping the FBI find missing children. They gather their prophetic people together. They, they look at information. They seek God. And anything that's duplicated in the group, they send it through to their policemen friends. The first time they did it, within 48 hours, they found two missing children. You were alive when the church is taking its place in history like never before. If you were to stand on the balcony of heaven, I know you don't feel it. I don't always feel it up in Hull. Not hell, hull. I mean, it's a bit hard in hull. One of our church buildings, we've got a multi-site church, but one of our sites sometimes gets shot at while we're worshipping. It makes the worship really passionate. Okay, I, I, it's quite hard in hull. I almost thought of changing our church name to Hull Song because I thought it might help. Do you know what I mean? I know everyday life doesn't feel like this, but if you were to look at the facts of what is happening around the world right now, there is a global sense of revival stirring 
I, I, the Welsh Revival, I'm a Welshman. So I was bought, bought, born in, and, and brought up in, in South Wales till I was seven. And then I was a, 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 we were a missionary family in Gibraltar till, uh, for 10 years. And then I've been 30 years in Hull. And, um, and uh, ooh, what was I saying? Somebody help me. Went blank. Oh, that's it, Welsh Revival. I got to Wales and I just suddenly went, oh, land of my fathers. Do you know what I mean? So took my, took my brain away. Do you know, in the Welsh Revival, about 100,000 people were saved. Awesome, right? I've stood on the platform with Reinhard Bonnke when he led 1.3 million to the Lord in one evening. He's worked with me, 13 Welsh Revivals in one evening. I know it doesn't feel like it, but come with me to the facts for a minute. There is the potential for a blazing revival across the planet right now. We are at the 500-year the pivotal marker when I believe, and if, uh, I won't do the theology or the prophecy of it right now, it's in the book, but God is wanting to fill his church with glory. That's what the restoration, what happens when the tabernacle was finished? Glory. What happened when the temple was finished? Glory. What happens when those disciples were finished? Acts chapter 2, glory. What happens when the church finishes reformation for 500 years? And only in the last 20 years has been the restoration of the apostle, which is the highest form of Christ's servant leadership on the earth. And so it's almost like going, yeah, now it's in place. It ain't perfect, but it's in place. I believe the season we're coming into is a season of glory filling the church. What is glory? Glory is this when God, who is so often invisible in the background, maneuvering things, whispering, suddenly he becomes an American. He steps into the front of the scene. He says, I'm here. His power, his glory, his movement, his brightness, his transfiguration. Let me move in my power and my glory. God's glory is the goodness of God made visible. Anybody here tired of praying prayers that don't get answered? It's the time of glory. You see, some people say, if you keep doing the same thing, you'll always get the same result. Not true. Ask a farmer. Atmosphere, culture, climate changes everything. You are at a time of divine climate change. There is more healing on the streets of Great Britain now than ever in our history. I say it to myself, wow. And then I'll say it backwards, wow, Jared. Come on, work with me. Think about it. And so this is, this is why we have to get up from the dullness of thousands of meetings. They'll all roll into one. Where you sit there going, oh God, the promise is glory, but this is boring. Anybody ever been there? I mean, come on, life's rocking on. I'm getting too old to sit in boring meetings. I don't know about you. I want God to move. I, want, I don't want to churn out religion, not even charismatic religion. We're still churning it. No, I want God to break in. I want God to burst forth for new things to happen. God wake us up. So sometimes we're stuck, yes, in the home of the school run and the nappy change and paying for the mortgage and our jobs. But churches are stuck in the routine of worship and preaching and social action. Listen, we've got to slap our faces wherever we're at and say, come on up to the high places and let's see what God wants to do next. I like that one. I'll take you wherever I go. Come on. You're hired. Right? God, the availability. See, you are in a remarkable season of timing. I believe the power for healing is available at a level 
that wasn't available 700 years ago. Why? Timing. The atmosphere, the climate, there's an, there's an ease coming. I mean, we, we've had, a, I won't do the stories right now, but we've had revivals, moves of God, let's say, sweep throughout. You can have a revival that's everything from a revival in 20 youth right, to a na- right through to a nation. So work with me on that one if you don't like the definition. But God swept into our youth and suddenly 14-year-olds who one minute are arguing about whether Justin Bieber or Justin Timberlake are better and picking their nose. Then they'll lay hands on people and deaf ears are opening. And this particular little youth group, they stopped counting the deaf ears opening at 70 because they realized they were getting inaccurate. Not doing anything different, just a different climate. You see, one of the great things that's coming on the church in this season is a new climate of the presence of God. During the Welsh Revival, they asked a miner, what was the atmosphere like? He'd been in mining explosions. He said, oh, this is, the atmosphere in Wales is like a mining explosion. There is divine debris in the air. It gets thick. Have you been in those meetings where it gets thick? It's almost like you're breathing liquid. And the healings become a case of you just point at people and people get healed. There is an ease, there's an authority. Why? Because the king is in the church. The king's at home. This, this is why we're here today, to pursue his presence and have the king among us. We're thinking it's our methods. They're not good enough. We're thinking it's, we say the name of Jesus. Maybe we don't say it loud enough, you know? So we're, we're trying, maybe we'll say it different. We'll quiff our hair like Benny. Do you know what I mean? Work with me. If I quiff my hair and get a white suit, maybe then it'll work. It's not the method. It's the king being in the church. It's God being in us and around us and through us. And suddenly you go, oh, it was all so simple. Kids can do it. Seven-year-olds. My son was about four when he prayed for someone and saw his first broken ankle healed, proved by x-ray. Why? Because the king is in the house. Eventually, we had a bit of a revival of healing in our, in our church. God moving, lovely stuff. Most of it through 15-year-olds. Remarkable. Eventually, the BBC came and, and did a program that now GCS students have an opportunity to watch made by BBC Education about healings in the 21st century. And all GCSE religion students get offered this program. They watch it about how God moves today. But here's the thing. They would often come to me thinking, oh, lots of healings. He must be a specialist. And they go, so what's happening? I don't know. All I know is that when God comes to church, and I don't mean omnipresent God, poor thing, he has to be everywhere. Think of the amount of meetings he goes to on a Sunday. Think how bad most of them are. I'm talking about when God manifests, comes to church. It's not method. It's we, we just call on his name because we know his heart on earth as it is in heaven. And God moves. All I know is if you get the presence of God in church, God moves. I don't know any more than that. And uh, so can I share a bit? So that's that book if you're interested. I believe we're in a remarkable season. But I want to talk this morning then about this electricity of heaven that is available to us. I believe in church the atmosphere should, should crackle with the sense of God in the room. We do a little program for UCB Radio. Anybody listen to UCB Radio? And we do, we do a little, and it's generally 23 minutes tidied up from one of our services. So it's a little bit of teaching usually. And I remember once being in one of our services and a couple of ladies arrived at the back and they were stood at the back and they were shaking violently. And this was in the prayer meeting before the main meeting. 
So I went up. I could tell there were visitors. Say, Hello, um, uh, you're a visitor, right? Oh, oh, yes, first time here. They're shaking like this. First time here. Oh, um, one was a Christian, one wasn't. And uh, so uh, how do you know about us? Oh, we listen to you on the radio. And I said, oh, that's lovely. She looked at me. She said, not like this on the radio, is it? It should be a crackling atmosphere. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he's tidying up their worship, because they're a bit overemphasized into spiritual gifts and not right, really getting the, the, the morality side right. But when the Apostle Paul tidies up a church, he still says when an inquirer comes among you, they should fall on their face and say, God is in this place when you prophesy. This should be an atmosphere that makes people fall to their knees saying, God is in this place. And it's something that we as a people need to learn to carry. So I want to talk a little bit about the electricity of heaven in our churches and in our lives. Wesley's day, we often remember the statistics of of Wesley's ministry and how it transformed the nation and others at that time like Whitfield and all that went on. But we often forget the atmosphere as one of my favorite words, we often, I don't like the phrase slain in the spirit. I don't know about you. I, you know, I prefer to go biblical myself. I, I, I don't mind people being overwhelmed, trembling, overcome. Unless for me, theologically, they're a reaction to God. I don't think God's in heaven saying, let me make, let's have lines of people fall over. I don't think that's God. Um, but we feel overwhelmed by the presence of God. But the word they used in Wesley's day was people were thunderstruck. Who's ready for a bit more thunderstruck in our church, right? And, uh, and when Wesley used to preach, of course, he, he was a field preacher. They chucked him out of the church. So thousands of people in fields. And, of course, you wanted to try and see Wesley. So young men would climb the trees to watch Wesley. And the experienced one would say, young man, don't climb the tree. Because when Wesley preaches, you won't stay in the tree. But, of course, young men being young men, they were rebellious. They climbed the trees anyway. So imagine it. We forget this. Imagine it. While Wesley is preaching, you can hear, ah, 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 because there's atmosphere in the field. Because God is there. Was it Finney that was riding past a factory on a train and the glory of God hit the factory and people start falling to their knees getting saved? Was it up near Sunderland during, during times of revival and visitation when sailors, as the ships would get close to shore, within about a certain marker of shore, they would drop to their knees on the deck, giving their lives to Christ under conviction because there was an atmosphere. There was an electricity in the church. This is what we're called to carry. Amen. Catherine Coleman, <laughs> she would uh, walk through her local airport. And of course, it'd be chaos. There'd be bodies everywhere. People get out of wheelchairs. In the end, the airport said, Miss Coleman, Please do not come to our airport. We will send a car to pick you up from your home and drop you at the steps of the plane, but you are not to come through our airport anymore. It is too much chaos. How's about that reputation? God. Once Reinhard's team were organizing a crusade for Reinhard and this, this Nigerian city were trying to decide where to put the stage on the big wasteland where the crusade was going to be. And should it be here, here, here? And over this side was a church and a graveyard. And the leaders of the city said, no, no, you cannot put Reinhard by the graveyard because everybody will come out. Put him over this side here. How's about that being our reputation? <sighs> God's on the move. And what I want to encourage you to do today, this morning and when I speak later Join in what is available from heaven right now. This is a remarkable season. 
And your greatest danger is not immorality. It is not a lack of intelligence or giftedness. Your greatest danger in mine is dullness. That we live as Christians, but we live dull, cultural Christian lives, even spirit-filled ones. And we never learn how to break out into the things of God. I believe it's, uh, it's great to see how you've put uh, pursuing the presence and the prophetic together on my right. There's kind of a twin thing going on, to, on in these days. There's a sense of the presence of God and the prophetic. If you turn to Ephesians 4, I just want to begin there and open up a few, a few thoughts about it. Because the prophetic and the presence are deeply connected. Let me see if we can do this quite quickly. Ephesians 4 verse 7. You can pick it up. I'll, I'll name the verses as I'm going through. But to, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why he said he ascended on high. He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. We'll go from verse 11. So Christ himself gave Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Everybody say the whole measure of Christ. And then say yabba dabba do. I mean, that just sounds amazing, doesn't it? Attaining to the whole measure of Christ. Um, the prophetic and the presence are deeply connected. Here's why. Uh, apostles, and here's my definition. I, I don't know your movement and quite, I, may, I might say it using different language. So don't be put off like that if I use different language, but just work through it. I know sometimes preachers can jump to their conclusion without giving you the content, but we'll just do the best we can. Is that all right? Apostles are your big picture people. Uh, 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 evangelists just pushes to love the lost, to go out and reach the lost, right? They wonder why we waste time worshiping. We should all be out there. Um, your, your teacher leads us into, into truth and, and the Bible and Scripture and knowledge and understanding. And your pastor, uh, it's almost like a five-valve five engine in the church. And all five valves have to be working. The pastor valve is creating the place of comfort and love and care and shepherding with each other. But listen, it's the prophetic valve that brings the sense of the imminent presence of God. You, when a church gets boring, it's because the prophetic valve is not functioning in the church. The teacher valve has taken over. It's all very organized and understandable. Or the pastoral valve has taken over. It's all very care. It's all about love and the people. The evangelist valve has taken over. It's all about reaching the lost and social action. Or perhaps even the apostle valve has taken over. That's stronger than all the others. And suddenly it's just a big picture of missions. But it's the prophetic valve functioning in a church that brings the sense of the electricity of heaven in the room. And so the prophetic valve has got to function in your meeting host, for instance. We've got to make sure that our meeting host, another one, our prayer leaders, often our worship leaders, have the ability, they don't have to be prophets, but have the ability to function with their prophetic valve. Why? Because when a prophetic person starts to flow, there's electricity in the room. God's in the room. There's a release of energy for miracles. It's like instead of wood, it's steel, and the electricity is going to begin to flow. It's what the prophetic valve does. So I remember being in a prayer meeting just recently, and I mean, we were, we were flying. Do you know what I mean? We got into prophetic realm zone. See if you understand what I mean. We were, there was no agenda. We were like, whoa, God. Rah! 
right? We were going for it in intercession. I mean, all the teachers in the room were like, this is a bit too much. All the prophetic guys would go, this is heaven, right? And I was just about to hand on to the next person who in my team has a strong teacher anointing and a strong prophetic anointing. So I knew one of two things could happen. If they decide I'm most most comfortable in this moment leaning into teaching me, I know that they're going to break out their PowerPoint, calm everything down and say, so let's pray through these points. Now listen, there is a moment to do that, but not as often as we do. Can I put it nicely? So I said to this person, listen, whatever you do now, look at the atmosphere. Don't go into teacher mode. You have the ability to do both. Lean into your prophetic side. And they say, well, what does that practically mean? It means screw up your notes and throw them away. Why? I want you to feel what's happening in the room right now, not what's happening on the paper. Because what's on the paper is what you thought, but what's in the air is what God thinks. And there are moments in worship, there are moments in prayer, there are moments in ministry when electricity would be released if we'd step away from the notes and back to the sense of the Spirit of God now. There's nothing wrong with notes. There's a moment to use a run sheet and notes. Absolutely. There are times when just life is busy. We're going to have to use notes to get us through so we don't have eight-hour meetings just doing the baby dedications. Anybody with me? But then we've also got to know, church, come on, be brave. Pick up the notes sometimes. Sense when it's right to. Chuck them away and trust that you can hear God. Why? It releases electricity. It releases that atmosphere of heaven. Okay? When the teacher people step over into their prophetic anointing that sometimes is a little bit undernourished, but it's often there, it releases the atmosphere of heaven in the room. I remember being in a meeting when um, it was uh, about 4,000 people there and I was sat a couple of rows back with a friend of mine. And it was, it was a place that I know struggled, let me put it this way, struggled with the concepts of the glory of God moving. In other words, their, 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 their services are largely locked down by run sheets. And there are some churches, you know, where, where the worship is planned three months before. They know what songs they're doing. I'm like, I don't know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. I don't know how you can do that. Right. I remember going to this one church, another story, I'll get back to the other one. I remember going to this one church, I didn't know it very well, I turned up late because of traffic, it was a Sunday morning, I got onto the front row and they, they, they shuffled me onto the front row and I met the pastor, they said, hi, really nice to meet you and uh, I said, okay, wh- what's happening, when am I on? And he said, right, well there's 22 minutes of worship and I knew immediately, 22, not about 20, 22, you, you. And right, I think immediately I knew I know what kind of church I'm in. There's 22 minutes of worship. So they did 22 minutes of worship, and then I had 35 minutes. So I talked for about 25, and then I opened up the altars in this place that was shut down to run sheets. And many churches are doing it. And, and so, so it's all about human planning. It's the teacher anointing taking over. That's all. It's not sin. It's just only using well van, one valve of the engine. So I get up there with my prophetic anointing and suddenly there's electricity in the room and I talk to this starved congregation about the move of the Spirit and what happens in a lot of churches happened, they all ran past their leaders to the front while the leaders looked bewildered and they surrounded the platform crying, going, we want the Holy Spirit. A woman got out of a wheelchair. Let me finish. A woman got out of a wheelchair, deaf ear open, people getting healed, people on their faces weeping, but I'm an obedient servant. So I'm watching the huge clock run down in the front, you know, and, 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 and it's just chaos in the church. Eight, seven, six, five, ah, four, ah, three, two, and I handed the microphone to the pastor and walked off. 
Now, it's not about godly or ungodly. It's about knowing what valve to use for what effect. You will not find a revival in history that did not activate the prophetic anointing along with others in order that atmosphere would be released in nations. See, the fivefold lead to the fullness of Christ. And I would say we're probably, uh, and I wouldn't say it of this movement because I met you a few times now, in the nation we are struggling and inexperienced in activating the prophetic anointing. But our days are coming. Come on, work with ah. That's why we're here today, right? God's on the move. And you know the end result will be the electricity of heaven in the church. Amen? God wants to move in and around and among us. And one of the reasons I say that, you know, prophet, prophet, there's two parts to the word. Pro means to stand before. Fet means to make known. All prophecy is is to stand before and then to make known. Get the first part of that word. This is, this is why the prophetic realm more than any other releases God's presence in a room. It's because the prophetic heart just stands before. Remember when Elijah turned up? He turned up and said, I, I'm Elijah. I've been essentially standing in the presence of the Lord. And this is what prophetic people do when they get up, having stood in the presence of the Lord, while the teacher faces the Bible. I know that's not entirely true, but work with me on it, on, on the generalization. While the teacher faces the Bible, and the pastor faces the people, and the evangelist faces the lost, the prophet faces God. That's why we need that valve functioning. Somebody somewhere needs to be looking at heaven. Somebody somewhere needs to be grasping and saying, it's, this is what God is saying now when the electricity of heaven is in the room. We need to get all five valves in our engine functioning, and then we get a powerful, electrified church. Amen? It's what God does. Oh, so we were in this meeting. See, I didn't forget. It's in my notes. That's why. <laughs> And yeah, there's about 4,000 people in this meeting. And, and these guys, like many today, don't quite know what to do when the electricity of God turns up. And we're there, and there's a sense of the presence of God. You could feel the meeting. I mean, if some of the old greats got up there, they'd have pushed us over the top of the hill into a realm of glory. You wouldn't have been able to stop the meeting. You could feel it. There was something in the atmosphere. And... Uh, and the guy was leading, didn't quite know what to do. You could see Paul's strong teacher anointing. And so he called on a mature believer from the front row, one of the leaders. And I looked and I went, another teacher anointing. Okay. So they, they pulled the, the second teacher up, more experienced though. He said a prayer, listen to this, quietened it down. And they carried on with the run sheet. And I sat there. We were on the edge of glory. And then my friend, a very much more experienced man of God than me, leaned over to me and says, you know, when the presence of God turns up, the only ones to call are the prophets. In other words, we've got to learn to lean into the prophetic to bring the presence into our churches. When that valve that allows a bit more spontaneity, a bit more flow, a bit more sense of what God is doing right now, it can be pre-planned, absolutely, but it's also very available to the spontaneous and the, the nowness of God. When that is fully functioning in our churches, especially our prayer leaders, our meeting hosts, our worship leaders, stuff begins to shift in the church and atmosphere comes. We need the electricity of heaven. And uh, let me just share with you three, if I've got time, three things that happens when the electricity of God comes. Number one, when the presence of God comes into our churches and into our lives, there is an awakening 
to the fact that God is not mere theory or principle, but God is alive and here right now. And our churches need that. I remember being in a meeting doing Q&A with the leader of a very large Australian denomination, not Hillsong, because that's, I know, where your brain will go, but another one, but very open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, and we were asking this leader and his associate, how come your kids are really going on with God? They're all grown up now. Um, and they're all very different. You could tell the associate minister of this large denomination, um, he, was a, he, he was a kind of a, a gentle man, and, and he had more gentle, should we say, how can I put it nicely, cooperative kids. But the leader was creative, wild, a bit out there, so you can only imagine what his kids were like. They were going to push every boundary going. So the fascination for us was, how come all of your kids, I think there's five of them, are all going on with God in ministry? Very, very different kids, but you've managed to do a good job. What's happened? And they paused, and then the leader said, I think this is the secret. He said, in our youth group, where they did all the usual stuff, pizza, clubs, fun, video games, all the lot, all the usual fun stuff. But every couple of years, a move of God would sweep through the youth group. And they knew God wasn't a song. He wasn't a moral code or a principle. God was a person. They had met him. That's what our churches need. That's what our youth groups need. I remember when I was seven years old, the only other meeting I can remember in that church where I grew up my first seven years. I remember they, they brought in the world's first worship group. Because, I mean, up to that point in the church, we had an organ one side and a piano the other. Anybody remember those days? Oh, you've been set free from those, I can tell. And, but they brought Terry Law. Anybody? Come on, somebody. Terry Law, anybody? And Living Sound. Well, they came to the church and they played and they, they put drums on the platform. We were still unsure whether they were of the devil or not. Do you know what I mean? So they, they, they brought their ungodly drums on the platform and they played and sang. They must have let the kids sit around the platform because I can remember vividly being seven years old, sat on the edge of the platform, this little kid in church, having been through thousands of services already. And as I'm sat there, I suddenly feel the electricity of God in the room. And as a seven-year-old, I wouldn't articulate it like this, but this is what I now know as a 49-year-old. I knew from that moment on that God was not a song, a hymn, a church service, a pastoral ministry, a principle or a moral code. God was God. I had felt him. He had introduced himself to me. The presence of God had awakened me to the reality of God in my own life. I wasn't saved because of a sinner's prayer or a moral code. I was saved because I'd met God and given my heart to this person I'd encountered. There's an awakening takes place. This is why we need the presence of God sweeping through our Sunday schools and our youth groups. Because they need to know God's real. You want to get the fear of God in your youth groups? Show them God's real. Amen. And he can move and pour through our churches. The second one thing that God is doing as the presence of God comes into our churches and fills the church is he's teaching us. The first one, he's awakening us. The second one, he's teaching us. You know, in the Bible, when things get mysterious, and who knows that the things of the Spirit are a bit mysterious. I don't know about you. I, I haven't even got 10% of it sorted out. It's mysterious. And when, when we begin to talk about mysterious things, God often goes into metaphors, pictures. It's like this. It's not this. It's like, let me use a picture, it's like. So we know things like God is like oil. God, the Spirit of God is like fire. The Spirit of God is like wind. Let me just do a few of those for a minute because 
as we experience the Spirit, it's really important that we begin to grasp what God's like. Because you're a person in a body, but God's a person without a body. I know you could argue that phrase, but work with me for a minute for where I'm trying to get with it. God is a spirit, John 4 tells us. Now, we're so used to being fleshly people, right? We're just, I understand a person is contained within a body. And generally, their brain's up here, generally. You know, and generally, their feet are down there. And we've got a sense of the anatomy. But God's anatomy is different. God is a living, thinking, loving person, but he's like oil. Now, if you've just gone cross-eyed at the thought of that, good, because it's mysterious. How do we get it? But so understand some of how God is like. And if we begin to grasp it, it transforms what happens. God is like oil. He's a loving, thinking person, but he's like oil. What does that mean? It means God is transferable. So if I was to put oil on my hand and then come and touch you, what would you have on you? Oil. I can pass God to you in the same way. That's how presence works. See, God is viral. Okay, think about the Great Commission, and then think about the move of the Holy Spirit. And work with me for a moment. People are more likely to meet God if they meet you. Why? Because you've got God all over you. And when they get near you, they pick up a bit of God. So if you've got a teenage son who's away from God, while he's out in school, go get your hands on that pillow and leave God on the pillow. Pray. John G. Lake used to pray over leaflets, the great healing evangelist, before he sent them out. And he'd pray over leaflets. And as people would open the leaflets in the post, they'd fall down under the power of the Holy Spirit. Or they'd open the envelope, touch the envelope, and get immediately healed. They used to pray over aprons and handkerchiefs in the book of Acts, did they not? This is sense that somehow it's beyond our understanding, but in some way God is transferable. Lay your hands, touch lives, and they begin to be transformed. One of our lads, again, our, our church is on a little bit of a rough estate, and um, one of our lads went out to talk to some, about, some of them about the gospel. And there was a lad kind of leaning half on a, on a bicycle with an obviously bad leg. He didn't need a word of knowledge. It was obviously something wrong with his legs. So he said, if I tell you about Jesus... Uh, no, he said, can I tell you about Jesus for a minute? And they said, you know, things ending in off that weren't Greek and Hebrew. And, 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 he, said, and he looked at this lad with a bad leg and said, look, if Jesus heals your leg, can I tell you about Jesus? And before they could answer, he slapped his hand on the lad's shoulder and said, in Jesus' name be healed. The lad leapt off his bike, began to shake his leg, then grabbed his tummy and stood there like this trembling, shaking his leg. The other lad said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. I can feel this thing inside of me. Our lad says, well, that's God introducing himself to you, but how's your leg? It's completely better. So then he's got six friends around him, and they say, can we have some of what he's having? Unchurched kids, 14, 15 years old, seven or eight of them, line up in a row in Hull, England, and they, they automatically, without being told, put their hands in satellite disposition, just like you would. And then they get prayed for and begin to shake under the power of the Holy Spirit. A little group of seven, eight, nine-year-olds walk up. They say, what's going on? The one on the end goes, it's the power of God. They say, can we have some? So they line up, begin to shake under the power of God. Then a policeman walks up. He says, what's going on? One of our lads says, it's the power of God. Do you want some? He says, no, I've got a job to do. And he disappeared. <laughs> that night, 20 of those lads, because they brought some friends, came to the church and gave their lives to Christ.
if the Holy Spirit is like oil, when I touch you, I leave God anew. This is why the principle of the laying on of hands works. God is viral. He's transferable. This is why wherever you put your feet, you're going to take. Why? There's some dynamic of just take me out there into the world. Carry me because wherever you carry me, I will be. We don't get it because we're not omnipresent, but God is. He's transferable. We can lay hands on people, on things, and release God into that world. Amen? He's told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, and that's what happens. God is like the wind, he's, it, which means he's invisible, but we see the effect. We have to get our heads around that. We're like sailing boats. We're like windmills, catching what God is doing. I remember prepping. I was stood on the front row about to preach, just like we were uh, this morning, and, I, and I'm there doing my thing, getting ready to get up, and hopefully put a sentence in a straight line for you all so you can understand it. And suddenly, uh, and this is a really interesting, this is how prophetic people often operate, something changes in the band and they start this one song. And it's like the presence of God just comes on me. And suddenly this boldness appears. It's like a breath or a breeze just came across me. And I just heard the words deaf ears, get everyone deaf out here. So, you know, and I'm like, finish the song, finish the song, finish the song. Then I get up there before I can do anything. Everybody that's deaf, get out here. Within two minutes, three deaf people were hearing. The breeze of God can be not there one minute, and then suddenly he goes, whoa. I think sometimes we think we have to sustain a level of spirituality all the time. But I'm learning that God can, you know, trust me, two minutes before you need it, I'll do that, and everything will change. God's like fire. You can go up in flames in a moment. I've done the other as well, you know, we've gone down in flames in a moment. But you could go up in flames in a moment. Suddenly something when there was nothing suddenly becomes combustible. I remember being in this church in, in Johannesburg, that one of the, the central ones in Johannesburg that John, uh, John G. Lake had planted. And, uh, and it was, it was, at this point, there was very little of the moving of the Holy Spirit. And they were actually going through a great trauma as a church. There was maybe three or 400 people there. And I remember God told me the night before, I'm going to drop a bomb on the church. And I, I just hoped it was going to be a spiritual bomb. Because literally in that place, there are bullet holes in the doors and, and stuff. And I remember I told a couple of stories and then I just said, I was so tired, I was being super brave. I just said, I believe God's going to drop a bomb of his spirit on this church right now. Let's stand. And we stood for two, three minutes, which is a long time to stand with nothing happening. And I'm like, God, have I missed it? And then suddenly from nothing, God's like fire, you see. Suddenly he can appear and Everything suddenly explodes for three hours. People were running around the room. People were spinning on the spot, which I only later learned that intercession and the word rejoicing has the concept of spinning in it. But I was going, how on earth are they physically doing that? When I left the building three hours later, there were bodies lying in the street outside. God's like a fire. I wonder if his fire is going to burst in this room today. Come on. Come on. I think sometimes we think, we're living for God. I don't know about you. I've already learned that I don't have enough love to live for God. I'm not that clever, not that good, not that moral, not that great. But God's got a Bunsen burner for my heart. He's got a blowtorch. I say, God, I'm feeling a little bit backslidden. Do you know how often I do that? About four times a week, usually. I'll go, God, I'm feeling a little bit backslidden. Get your blowtorch on my heart because I need your fire, not mine. God's like fire. He can set us alight when we're losing our passion. Amen. And lastly, he's like water. How do I get God into me? I, I drink him. 
He's like water. He's like a drink. And today we're going to drink in who God is and have that transform us. Amen? And, and you might go, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah, look, in the Gospels, it was weird. When Jesus started to preach, eat my flesh, drink my blood, that's when thousands of disciples deserted him. Why? Because they struggled with the metaphor. But today in this room, he's going to be oil. Because there's a few oily people in this room, all of us are going to get oily. And then you're going to get up oily in the morning, every morning, and pray. Yeah, terrible joke, I know. Some of you feel so dry and lost, and you think, how do I work my way back to feeling spiritual? God's got a blowtorch for your heart. You're going to leave this place on fire because the fire doesn't come from you. It comes from him. And by the way, if you want to sustain fire, make sure. Don't try and burn yourself. Let the oil burn. In other words, let God on you burn himself. Let, let him be a flame within you. God's like wind. He's going to breathe across your heart today. And you're going to realize, ah, I'm a sailboat. I just have to catch him. Amen. And then, then the last little bit that I want to share, there's a third thing that God's doing. He's awakening us. He's teaching us. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 10. It's not a long verse. You should be able to listen if you don't want to turn there. Jesus. I wonder if the, the keyboard player will get up and tinkle on the ivories. Thank you, bud. What's your name? Tim. Thanks, Tim. Now, the prophetic anointing likes a bit of tinkling. You'll find the evangelist doesn't need it. The evangelist can be in sin and still perform miracles. Unfortunately, that's true, and that's where we get very confused. But a prophetic anointing demands that I'm God-facing and that together we get God-facing and then stuff begins to shift. So that's why we use atmosphere. Elisha used it. He was a bit grumpy. He had to prophesy, a bit irritable with the guy with him. Well, something's got to soothe my soul so I feel spiritual. So he gets a harpist to play. Then the hand of God comes on him. So even as we have this little bit of music in the background, let the hand of God come on you. Okay? 1 Samuel 10, there's a third thing that God's doing as the electricity of his presence fills our churches. He's transforming us. 1 Samuel 10, 5 to 6 is a story of Saul getting ready for kingship. And this is what Samuel says to him. This is the sign that leads to his process of becoming king. As you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and timbrels, pipes and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person. I love that. Here you see again, he got near people that had the Spirit on them and the Spirit's like oil. The oil got on him and transformed him. There's a transformation that takes place in the presence of God. Now let me just tear apart that phrase, the Spirit of God will come upon you, you'll be changed into a different person. It means this, work with me, concentrate on these words. The mind of God will rush upon you is what it means and will overturn you. Anybody need overturning in this room? Come on, work with me. Anybody need some of their lower thinking, their stinking thinking, your anxiety, your depression, your I'm not spiritual enough, your imposter syndrome needs overturning so you can begin to walk in the things of God. Well, the mind, the very thoughts of heaven this morning are going to rush upon you and overturn you and prepare you 
for who you need to be in God. Here's another phrase of what it means. It means this, the breath of God will rush upon you. Listen to this phrase, and you will become the next man. Think about it. The mind of God will rush upon you and you'll become the next man, the next woman. I don't know about you, but I'm not the boy that sat in Bethel Temple, Newport as a seven-year-old and first experienced the Spirit of God. I've been through stage after stage of transformation through encounter with God. And God comes to me again and again and His minds rush upon me and transform me into the next man. When I look at the prophecies and the dreams and the hopes in my heart, 30 years from now, I know this Jared could not do that. Anybody has that feeling? I simply cannot do what God will want me to do by the time I get to that age. What will need to happen? The mind of God, the very thoughts of God will rush upon me, overturn me, and turn me into the next man and the next man and the next man. Stage after stage in my life, God will overturn me. So the first one was age seven, when I went from an unsaved boy to a saved boy, feeling the electricity of heaven. But the next one in my life, I would have been about 18 years old, terrified of the Holy Spirit, actually, because then I'd see more weird things happen and deliverances and Derek meeting, Derek Prince meetings and things like that. But I remember this big Norwegian evangelist called Joe Hogland. Anybody heard of Joe Hogland? Massive. I mean, if he prayed for you, you're going down anyway. Do you know what I mean? And I remember he came to our church and before I could run away, he grabbed me and the mind of God rushed upon me as well as his big hands. I fell to the ground and I was transformed. I remember age 20, I was a worship leader in a Bible school in Horsham. And it was a Thursday night and students, we were having a little worship time and suddenly the glory of God rolled into the room. And I, with an intensity I'd never experienced before, I said, God, what shall I do? What shall I do? And he, he told me to go and get this little flat in Shia, a little village called Shia, a little, little flat where they used to use it to pray. And I, I got this little flat in Shia. And I remember November 1990, I go into this flat. I'm turning everything that's hot on. Do you know what I mean? All the oven, candles, everything to try and get this place warm. It's freezing. And as I knelt down in front of the three-bar fire in this little flat, the glory of God rolled into that little apartment. I had a pad and a pen, and God began to speak to me about my life. For eight hours he spoke, I was all snot and tears. I got back to the Bible school. I thought, that was amazing. What happens next? As I close the door of my Bible school bedroom, the glory of God rolls into the bedroom. Down on my face, pad and a pen, four hours. For three to four months, four hours a day, God would lock me in my room and speak to me and transformed me as his mind rushed upon me. He overturned me, and he's done it again, and I don't have time to tell you. 1993, 1994, 1996, 1997, 2000, even last year, 2017, I gave two months. Why? Because I know what happens when he rushes upon you. He gets you ready to be the next man and the next man. Listen, I want us to end this morning seeking the Spirit of God. I want us to throw a few principles together. God's like oil. He's transferable. That's why the laying on of hands works. I want us to seek God together. If this message has made you hungry and thirsty for the things of God, 
that you can pray right where you are. But if, if you're saying, no, I, I want to go deeper than ever before, I want you to come to the front and we're going to spend some moments in prayer as well. So you can pray right where you are or you can come to the front, stand, kneel, whatever, even go to the sides if we run out of space. And here's what's going to happen. The mind of God, I'd like the rest of the worship team up if they would as well. And just sing something Holy Spirity. is that okay? I don't know, spirit breakout or whatever you got, Holy Spirity. And we're gonna we're gonna we'll go deeper this afternoon, but for now we're gonna have the mind of God rush upon us. Put your hands out in front of you right now. Jesus. 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 Just pour just just pause for a minute. Let's do a little bit of silence for a minute and then we'll what we're gonna sing. Oh, that's a nice one. Hold that one. Just have silence for a minute. And look, I'm only doing that as I'm sensing the flow of the Spirit of God. There he is. There he is, right across the room right now. There he is. That's it. That's it. Drink. There he is. That's the mind of God rushing on you. Jesus blew on his disciples, the Bible said, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Right across this room. There he is. There he is. If you're unsteady, kneel. There he is. He's rushing on you. He brings transformation. He brings transformation. Jesus blew on his disciples, said, receive the Holy Spirit. There he is, there he is, there he is. There he is, right across this room, right now. There he is, that's it. He's like fire right now. Some of you, you've been tired and he's burning away that tiredness now. Let your imagination see a flame burning away the dross, burning away the unhappiness, burning away the weariness. Burn it away. Fire. Burn it away. Burn it. Set us on fire again. In a moment. In a moment. Spirit of God. Those who were tired, those who were dry, and now like oil, oil, oil. There he is. There's oil flowing from heaven. We had a vision earlier. Golden flowing from heaven. There he is. Jesus. 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 Jesus, right across this room, oil, 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 Jesus, oil.
Just kneel if you feel unsteady. It's the safest thing to do. Jesus. Jesus. There he is. There he is. Just like Wesley's day. The thick presence of God. Jesus. 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 Gee, right across this room. Right up the aisle. There he is. There he is. That's it. That's it. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Now let's, let's work. This is a workshop environment, okay? Let's work with another one of the pictures. The Holy Spirit is like living water that you can drink. I want you to use your imagination and drink him in right now. He's only like a drink. He's not a drink. He's like a drink. It's how you... So right now, imagine yourself just filling up. It's like taking a big bottle of water and just filling your physical body up with who he is. That's how he fills you. It's like a drink. That's it. Drink him in. Drink him in. Drink him in. Drink him in. If your mind struggles with the metaphor, you use your imagination just to help you lock into spiritual things. That's why he's given you an imagination. Spirit of God. That's it. Now drink more. Don't just have a sip. Drink more than you've ever drunk before. I want you to realize it's your choice. How full you are is your choice because he always comes without measure. It's always our choice how full we are. That's it. You can be complete. I get drunk in the Spirit at will. It's nothing to do with sovereign moves of God. I have the gift of the Holy Spirit when I take a drink. Personally, my reaction is I feel drunk in the Spirit at will. So go for it. Feel right now. Feel right up. More than you've ever had before. More than ever before. Right across this room, more than ever before. More than ever before. That's it. More, 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 more. Some of you getting like Daniel on your hands and knees, can hardly breathe at the intensity of God's presence. Drink him in. 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 Jesus, drink him in. Drink him in. That's it. Drink him in. Jesus. And now the wind of the Spirit's going to begin to blow on you. This is to move you like a sailing ship moves in the sea. People of the Spirit are like the wind. You can't tell where they come from. They can't tell where they're going. They're not working off run sheets. They're working off an invisible force in the room, of an invisible person breathing. So right now, right across your room, just begin to feel. God's going to start to give you visions, little prophetic things, directional things. Some of you are going to feel like you're stood on a mountaintop. You're stood on a mountaintop. And it's like your whole perspective's going to change. And he's, God's burning away the dross, burning away the small thinking. And he said, God, get me up to where I can have God-sized plans. 
God-sized plans. God-sized plans. God-sized plans. Not plans born of our stinking thinking or our self-limiting or what we think we're worthy of or worth. God-sized plans. He's lifting you up into the fresh air of God-sized plans. God-sized plans. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. As we were singing this morning, I, I saw an army rising up in the room. I saw an army arising in the things of the Spirit. You see, what begins with drinking and fire and oil and all this kind of, what, what begins with our experiencing His presence ends with us transforming society. If it doesn't, then it, we, we, honestly, you won't sustain your relationship. You'll get bored. This is only exciting for so long. I see healings on the streets. I see, I, I see you being given dreams and visions as the breath of God. Some of you, there's, there's someone here, you're going to have a meeting with a political figure, and you won't even know what you're going to say until the breath of God breathes on you in the lobby of that place, and then you're going to get the word. And you're going to have to trust that God will breathe when He promises to breathe. And the wisdom will come, even if it's last minute. The wisdom will come. I see some of you transforming schools. I see there are teachers in this place. You need to walk around your classroom when it's empty, lay hands on those chairs and those desks, and leave God on the chair for the child to find. Leave the atmosphere. Let it be that when they sit down, it's like those John G. Lake leaflets that they sit down. They don't even know what they're feeling. But, but they'll end up like my mum, who didn't know why, but as a young girl in an unsafe family, she just longed to know God, and she didn't even know why. That's what you can leave in that seat for those children. I see some people dealing with financial areas in this room, and actually go to bed drinking of the Spirit and asking for the breeze of the Spirit to blow on you at night, because you're going to get solutions in dreams. I see solutions coming in dreams to financial and business issues. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. As we begin to sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Drink. Let his breath breathe across you. Let his fire ignite you again. It's all from him. And I tell you, if we learn to steward the presence is in this room so he grows and grows and grows among us it will be like Wesley's day and greater in our nation it will be like the Welsh revival and greater in our nation let's run with the spirit of God the spirit of God is going to affect your mind some of us are so used to thinking in the lower informational place and in a very negative place, I just see a dignity coming to our mind. It's like He's shining our thoughts and polishing them, cleansing them. And you're going to begin to think God thoughts more. I'd love it to get to the place where we think God thoughts more than our thoughts. But He's going to lift. Come on, let His mind rush on you right now. Drink, drink one more time before we finish. Drink. 
drink. Dignified thoughts. God's plans. God-sized plans. Faith plans. Faith plans. Lift our minds from doubt to faith. The spirit of faith. He's changing the spirit of your mind. There's a spirit for your mind. He's changing. He's putting the spirit of God on you. Mind of the Holy Spirit stirring in you. The thoughts of heaven pouring on you. Faith, trust, dignity, might, royalty, royalty. Rush. Thoughts of heaven rush upon us today. Rush upon us today. You are rising up a mighty army. Spirit of God on you, transforming things in the heavens and on earth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So good. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love your presence, Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. As we were praying, I was reminded of something my nan used to say to me as I was growing up. And uh, she used to say, He's got hollow legs. Because I could eat and eat and eat, and it just seemed to be I'd always be the same weight. Wish it was true now. <laughs> it's true then. But I just felt the Lord say that actually, like that was true in the physical, is true for us in the spiritual today. It's like you look and think, can I take any more? And it's like God says, "There's you've got hollow legs, there's lots more to fill. You think, can I take any more of the Lord? And it's like He says, You've got hollow legs. You can take a lot more. And we've had a wonderful morning together, haven't we? But I believe the Lord has much more for us throughout the day. So when you've finished with the Lord in this moment, go have some lunch. And uh, we'll be back at half one. If you just want to stay where you are and just keep praying and being with the Lord, then that's cool. You can do that. Uh, but we'll start again at half past one. So if you've got lunch with you, go enjoy that. There's places around uh, near the stadium where you can buy stuff if you haven't. And we're back to start with seminars at 1.30. So go straight to your seminar location, please.
for a 1.30 start. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.